it's ironic because people have said, oh, you must have always wanted to own a business. And I would have said, no, I would have rather done almost anything else. But it was such a clear calling of this is what I'm good at. I love doing it. I love talking about it. And I just, it was all I could think about. Hi, my name is Kara Myers and welcome to the Travel Business Lounge. Each week, I chat with women who have built incredible businesses in the travel and tourism industry. You'll hear their inspirational stories of success. We went from 2,000 a month to about 70, 72,000 a month um, in that span of, of nine years. And struggle. I wish that I could tell you that I pivoted really quickly and like jumped back on my feet and I, I did it. And what they learned along the way. Give yourself the grace of knowing that it's not going to happen overnight and you're going to make a ton of mistakes. And as long as you learn from them and move forward, that's okay. So grab a coffee, hit subscribe, and get ready to learn and feel inspired. Hey everyone, welcome to episode nine of the Travel Business Lounge, the place where we celebrate and learn from female entrepreneurs in the travel industry. Now, before I get into today's episode, I just want to mention something about the sound quality of the recent episodes. You may have noticed that it's varied a little bit, uh, and that's because I'm in Italy at the moment. And if you've been to Italy before, you'll know that Italian houses tend to have really high ceilings and tile floors and not a lot of cushy, soft furniture, which basically is the worst scenario for recording sounds. So I really apologize if it comes across a bit echoey. I've tried my best to edit that down, but hopefully it's not too distracting. But I figured I'd just address the elephant in the room, if you will. But today's episode is a great one, especially for all the reluctant entrepreneurs out there. So anyone that maybe has a side hustle or a passion project, that they're really excited about, can't stop thinking about, but still, despite the love for that side hustle, are not quite ready to make the leap into going full-time with it. Anna Eggleston was totally there. She is so relatable. And as the founder of Above Yoga, has so much great insight on what her experience was like shifting from someone who had a side hustle and a nine-to-five job to going full-time during a pandemic of all things. Also, I should mention, as this episode goes live, Anna's actually leading a retreat in Morocco of all places. So if you want a little taste of Moroccan wonderlust, I recommend you check out her Instagram account. In addition to being a wealth of knowledge, Anna is definitely a kindred spirit of mine. We were both strange children in the sense that we loved research trips for fun, uh, I also share her passion for yoga as it's been a big part of my life for the last 10 years. And we're both COVID brides, woohoo! <laughs> so we were able to have a few laughs about what a roller coaster that's been. But most importantly to me, the thing that really drew me to Anna and her business is her commitment to giving back to the communities where her retreats take place. Sustainable travel is a huge passion of mine and I really admire how Above Yoga literally goes above and beyond when it comes to making sure their trips are as ethical as possible. I loved hearing Anna's story of transitioning her business from side hustle to full-time gig. She is so honest about some of the struggles that she dealt with since starting her business in 2017, including the fact that she never actually wanted to be a business owner. 
She enjoyed the security that a quote-unquote normal job offered her, but she just couldn't ignore her passion. So today, you'll get to hear her story of taking that leap of faith. We discuss what pushed her to finally make the decision to go full-time her retreat business, what she learned after leading her first retreat, and how she's had to pivot her business during the pandemic to ensure that her guests are well taken care of and feel safe. Anna is an open book, and I can't wait for you to hear her story. So without further ado, here is Anna Eggleston of Above Yoga. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Travel Business Lounge. Today, I'm super excited because I am joined by Anna of Above Yoga, the chief Zen officer. I think that's the best title I've ever heard for a position. Uh, we first got connected through Charlotte McGee of Whist Away, who was featured on episode two of the podcast. So definitely one to check out. Uh, Charlotte's lovely, and I'm so happy she put us in touch because as, as soon as I started to learn more about Above Yoga, I just knew that you know this is the kind of brand that one I would love to go on your retreats, but just the kind of brand I really admire. Reading about your ethos, your commitment to sustainability, to community, giving back, and the fact that you offer these amazing yoga retreats all over the globe really uh, is, is is really impressive. So I'm excited to learn more about your business. But yeah, welcome, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Um, I'm thrilled to be here. And Charlotte is a has been a great support to me, Charlotte of Westaway. And it's nice because there's so many other travel creators out there. And I think um, we've kind of helped support each other and hold each other up in these crazy times for people in travel. <laughs> so I'm glad she put us in contact as well. Yeah, definitely. I think that's one of the benefits that's come out of the last year and a half is people building those support systems and realizing how important they are. So I've definitely made a lot of close friends in the travel industry over the last year and a half. And I'm really, really grateful for that. But yeah, let's get into your story. I want to hear all about the business. But first, let's hear a bit about your personal life, how you got into travel, how you got into yoga, uh, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, absolutely. So I think I was unusual as a kid in that I was always trying to plan the family vacations. And when I was younger, that might have looked like going on a carnival cruise ship. <laughs> and I was the one that would call, you know, my parents would really actually book it, but I would call Carnival or Royal Caribbean or whoever the cruise ship was. And I would get them to send me the huge catalog brochure because that was back in the day when everything was physical. And I would memorize the boat we were going on every floor <laughs> where our cabin was. Um, I mean, to a point that maybe it was kind of obsessive, but I just love to research travel. And I, I don't know if in the UK you have the same board game, but we have, we have a board game called Life in the US and you get to like pick what your job is. And I was always a travel agent and um, which was one of like the 10 occupations you could have. And of course I was one that was the highest salary you could have in that game was a hundred thousand. So I was trying to be a travel agent that made a hundred thousand dollars, which in the nineties was, and still is a lot of money. And I haven't hit that threshold yet, but maybe one day. So I just really was into travel. I was into going new places. I went a few places as a kid out of the country. One was to the UK. We went to the Lake District in England for many weeks. And I just thought it was really cool to meet people who live different lifestyles. And, you know, when you're a kid and you've never been out of the country, the US to the UK seems like a big jump. Now it doesn't seem that big to me anymore. But I did start to travel quite a bit more when I got out of college and worked in a job where I traveled quite a bit in sports marketing and then kind of fell into yoga in a bit of the same path of just something that I really 
liked out of college and did more and more often and then started going on yoga retreats held by other people and realized it was just a really great way to travel. Absolutely. I've never been on a yoga retreat. I've I've spent some time in India and attended a, a like a, a yoga wellness center for a few days, but that's as close as I've gotten. But I would absolutely love to eventually do do a, a yoga retreat myself. So how so how long was it from you know attending your first yoga retreat to thinking, hey, this is something I would like to do professionally? My corporate job at the time, so the first 10 or 12 years I was out of college, was event planning, sports marketing, hospitality. I did a lot of um, sort of travel logistics and hosting of executives and professional athletes and people who have very high standards. And so I had a pretty good knack for that already. And so I started going on yoga retreats, and then that led me to wanting to get certified to teach yoga. And as it happened, the women who led on the yoga retreat I first went on also ran a teacher training. And so I, I emailed them one day and said, I have this crazy work job now, and I work all these weekends. But if on the next training, you can avoid this one or two weekends, I, I will be the first person to sign up and I will be there. And they did. Um, and so I got certified and then just really started teaching. And I just, I'd had such good experiences on yoga retreats myself at the time I first started attending Personally, I was going through a very hard time and then subsequently started going through a divorce. And my partner at the time didn't like to travel. And I was so eager to see the world. And I think so many people get stuck in a mindset of like, I have to go with someone or I shouldn't leave my partner. Or I shouldn't leave my kids. And yoga retreats just felt like a super inclusive way to travel and have a really nice group of people with you that you could hang out with when you wanted or not, you could do your own thing. And so it helped a lot with independence. And so I went on a few in like 2014, 2015, 2016. And then um, by that point, I was certified to teach. And I thought, you know, this really lines up really well with what I'm naturally very good at planning, researching, logistics, putting out fires on site. We, we always talk about in the event world that little fires pop up and you have to put out the biggest one first. So it just seems like a really good fit. And I was already going to Tulum, Mexico for a friend's destination wedding, and I found a great retreat center there and went and met with a person and did a site check, which is what I'd always done in my normal job. And so I ran my first one in 2017, and I learned a lot and then was just kind of running about one a year for the next several years. And then I got to a point the end of 2019 where... I just, all I could think about was above yoga. All I wanted to talk about was yoga retreats and I just couldn't give my heart and soul to my corporate job anymore. And so um, I kind of just hit a point where I thought this is obviously working. I've proved out the business model on a small scale and now it's time to kind of take the leap um, or let it go. So I took the leap and then the pandemic was three months later, <laughs> but oh no, it's okay. It's all worked out. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think that is such a good indication that you're ready to take a leap when you feel like that passion is just overtaking every aspect of your life where you're thinking about creating these trips, retreats to different places whilst you're working at your corporate job. You know, you're, it's time to, to make that jump, even if it's scary. Yes. And it was scary, but it was like you said, you just hit a point. I had read every book about when do you take the leap and side hustles. And, you know, I was like scouring the internet for the answer and I knew what I wanted the answer to be. I wanted the answer to be just do it. And I don't know if you run into other people like this, but I had no desire up until a few years ago to be an entrepreneur. I thought that sounded horrible. 
I thought it sounded scary and unstable. And I really liked that I got a paycheck every two weeks. And when I heard people talk about owning a business, I remember thinking like, how do they sleep at night when they have, you know, they are the ones really, you really have to go out and, and dig for it when it's yourself and not just a business where someone's paying you. And, and so, yeah, it's a, it's ironic because people have said, oh, you must've always wanted to own a business. And I would have said, no, I would have rather done almost anything else, but it was such a clear calling of this is what I'm good at. I love doing it. I love talking about it. And I just, it was all I could think about. And so I finally just hit a point. I had actually gone on a, I'd, I'd reached out to a, a company that does yacht, charter yachts in Croatia to say I was interested when I figured out you could charter yachts in Croatia. And they said, actually, we have an opening. We're taking a bunch of travel agents on a familiarity tour, which are famil cruise, what they call it. And um, we might have an opening. It's in three weeks. Can you come? And at that point, I still had my corporate job. And I went to my boss and said, I have this opportunity to go to Croatia almost for free. And can I go? And he says now he regrets saying yes, because that was the beginning of the end. But um, I went on a, a travel agent cruise with, they happened to all be Australians. You can imagine how fun that was. And they were, it was such a good group of people and they were all full-time travel agents. And I just looked at them for this whole week. We we're in this magical place. And I thought I could do this. I, this is something that people still do and they're great people and they were so inspiring. And I got home and it was maybe a week later that I put in my notice. <laughs> That's a great story. I think, yeah, a lot of people don't even realize that travel agents still exist. And I think it's because the role of the travel agent isn't what it was, you know, in the, in the 90s, 15, 20 years ago. It has, it has shifted um, a bit, but definitely that is a career path that is open and available uh, to people today. Yeah. I mean, just to add to that, I, I'm actually signed on now with the, with the travel um, independent travel agency, but I'm not really doing much with it at the moment, I'm really just doing all my own stuff. But for people, people don't seem to understand how travel agents work, true travel agents, which is not exactly what I am now, but travel agents make commissions on bookings. They don't usually charge you. And so I think people just don't realize, especially during COVID, whether it's an actual travel agent or someone who just works in travel and knows quite a bit about what's going on, even if it's you're booking with someone else who runs yoga retreats or you're booking with someone else who runs travel. Those people are in it day in and day out. And with COVID, as you know, things change every day. You know, what country you can go into, what the requirements are. And if somebody's not following that for you and you book travel on your own, just be willing to do the research yourself because right now travel's not easy. It's definitely still worth it, but it's um, it's a very different ballgame than it was two years ago. And I think good travel agents and people who are know what they're doing in the travel business are going to rise to the top and they're going to become more valuable than they ever were in the past. Absolutely. And I think that's a really, yeah, another positive outcome of COVID is yeah, work was really sparse last year, but you know, as travel is changing, as individual countries are introducing these different regulations, I think you are going to see people turning to travel agents more and more, which is which is really nice to see for the industry because it suffered so much um, in the last couple of years. Um, so when you went on that uh, cruise in Croatia, was that before you led your first retreat? Yeah, no, at that point, um, that was just 2019. So yeah, I had, I had looked at my first retreat center and started working on it in 2016. And so I had led several retreats up to the point, um, but I was still also doing the corporate job. So that was a few years of, of trying to manage above yoga, 
scout retreats, um, research places, book the contracts and then take people. So I was basically having to use, you know, in the U.S., we only get really two or three weeks of vacation because we're a backwards society. (laughs) I think I had worked my way up to more like three or four because I was willing to say, like, don't pay me more. Just give me more vacation. So I was taking all of my corporate job vacation and putting it towards either scouting retreat locations. So something different about my business is that I don't take people places unless I've been myself. And so I always go you know, if I'm going to take a group to Ireland, I will go to Ireland a year or two before, look at retreat centers, take tours, take hikes, you know, do all the things that we might do on a retreat. And then I can say, yes, this is great. No, I don't want to include this. Um, And then when people have questions about the airport or the retreat center or how to dress, especially in a place like Morocco, Cambodia, um, I have firsthand knowledge. I'm not just looking on the internet to figure it out. And so I had spent so much of my vacation time every year, either scouting a retreat for a year or two later or leading the retreat of that year. And so I was kind of burning up my, the last of my vacation to take that once in a lifetime, essentially almost free trip to Croatia to, to do the, um, the yacht charter broker. And, um, that was kind of when I hit a point where I'd already had some retreats scheduled for 2020. Obviously at that point, no one knew the pandemic was coming. I wish we had. And so, I had already kind of booked up my vacation days in 2020 for this corporate job. And I just thought, you know, I'm handcuffing myself if I try to continue to do both. And I do think for people out there that are thinking of starting a side hustle, as we like to call it, um, or eventually a full-time business, there is value in keeping a job that pays the bills while you do the other thing. And there's a lot of research to prove that. And it gives you this, you're not in this do or die feeling, right? Like I had a very good paying job. I had good health insurance and then I quit my job and now I don't, it's in the U S you don't have any health insurance. You're paying out of pocket, et cetera. But like had all of these crazy things with the pandemic and paying my own insurance and people canceling had all of that happened in the first year or two, I had been running the business. I absolutely would have folded it. I mean, one, I couldn't have afforded to run it. And two, I would have been so panicked over the situation. So just let's go back to that first retreat. How did you find those first customers to to join you on the retreat? I will say that was probably the biggest hurdle. You know, I had this a little bit of an idea of like, if you build it, they will come. Well, newsflash, they won't. Um, They they might come eventually, but it's going to be a while before they show up and you have to kind of keep the faith. So the first retreat to Tulum, I felt like it was a good sweet spot because people knew what Tulum was. Maybe they hadn't been, but they had seen their friends go. I felt like I knew it was going to be a good experience. And that's, you know, that's kind of a, an easy one. You're at the beach. People want to lay out, especially if it's not nice weather at home. And so it seemed like it shouldn't be hard to sell. But with any new thing, right, you don't have any testimonials yet. You don't have any, you don't have any of that kind of built up innate trust that you get once you've been in business a lot longer. And so I had another teacher that I taught with at a studio who wanted to come. And so she signed on and I usually always bring co-teachers. So someone else to help teach yoga. That way I can teach yoga some, but also focus on logistics and guest experience. And so a friend or two of hers came. So that was a couple of people. Well, I needed like 15 people for this to really, (laughs) to really go. And so I got it, you know, it's just a trickle. It would be like a month or two of nothing and then one or two bookings and then a month or two of nothing. And so you start to think like, 
I'm going to be out a lot of money because you pay all these places up front, a huge deposit just to secure the dates. And, and that's still the case today, right? Every time I put a deposit down on something, I think, well, is this going to be the one that doesn't sell? And (laughs) I'm out like this huge amount of money and fingers crossed it hasn't happened yet. But, um, for Mexico, I, you know, I got some people to book and then I hit this weird point, like two months before where people canceled and it just did not occur to me. This sounds crazy to say now it didn't occur to me that people would cancel, which is laughable because now people have canceled on every single retreat at some point. But when I booked a trip, I don't, I've never booked a trip and canceled, right. Unless something catastrophic has happened. And so I thought, well, people have paid a non-refundable deposit and they're excited they're in, but right. Life happens. People change their mind, their financial situation changes. And so that was one of the biggest lessons I learned is like, assume a pretty high attrition rate. Like assume that even if you're quote sold out three months before, those people could cancel. And then you may have five more spots open you need to book. And so that was one of those things where when it happened early on, it was like a gut punch. You know, I thought I shouldn't be doing this business. There's something wrong. Why would people cancel? And it's, it's nothing personal, right? It has nothing to do with you or your business. It's just life. And so that was probably my biggest lesson out of the first one was make sure your cancellation refund policy is super clear. Make sure that people understand that the closer they book to the date, you know, they can't, they're not going to get a refund because I can't resell it. And so, um, learned some very valuable lessons in that. And I ended up putting the retreat also on a couple of like retreat um, booking websites where they take a small percentage. Um, and I've had varying success with that. Uh, sometimes I do it if I feel like there's some spots open and, um, you know, if you can recruit new customers, it's probably worth it. But the majority of my inquiries come in from friends of friends, people on Instagram, people who just found me on the internet. So it's mostly unpaid. But do you also do paid advertising like Facebook ads or Instagram ads or is that all organic? I tried once or twice and they were totally, it was, did not work. (laughs) Um, And I mean, I worked in advertising and marketing and stuff for years. And so I don't think it's that I didn't know what I was doing. I just think um, at the end of the day, I, Instagram marketing works great if you're trying to sell somebody a scrunchie, right? And it may work great on something more than that. But if you're selling someone a lotion that's $10, they might try it once and be like, sure, I'm just going to test it out. If you're selling a retreat that's $2,000 and you're going to travel across the globe with someone, typically I think it's, they'd have to be able to find a lot of research on you online to feel like, okay, this person seems like someone I want to go on a trip with them and 15 other strangers. So the, the threshold for wanting to buy, I think off an Instagram or Facebook ad would need to be something a little bit smaller. Not that people don't sell that way, but I haven't found the, the amount of money you need to put in would be a good payback. Some of those retreat booking websites, they do take a pretty big percentage, or you can just pay a flat fee to advertise. And on one of them, I've gotten a couple of customers. Um, the other one, I've gotten nothing. But in those cases, if I'm only paying... 150 bucks to list something. And if I sell one, I'm making, you know, it's a $2,000 ticket, then that's obviously a good trade-off, even if you only get one person. Yeah, definitely. So how far in advance did you list the, that first retreat? Like how much time, lead time did you have before the treat was going out and when people could book? I went and scouted that in, in December of 2016 and I built the website in January, like I said, at my kitchen counter. <laughs> And, um, so I started trying to book it in January and then we left in October. So I had about nine or 10 months, which 
I think is a good starting point. In some cases now, I have a window of more like a year, a year and a half. And I think especially during COVID, it's a weird balance of some people want to book something way in advance because they want something to look forward to and they're not comfortable traveling now. And the other side of the coin is during COVID, it feels like people are also willing to book much closer to the date of the trip. So I took a group to Mexico as the first retreat I've run um, since COVID started and they all had to be vaccinated and it was a small group and we went in June and I had people book in May because it was like, they knew that that part of Mexico was okay at that time. They, people didn't want to commit. So I think COVID has totally rearranged the normal booking cycle and window of booking versus travel. And so I think, I mean, for sure, I wouldn't recommend people try to do things like this and only give it a few months unless it's something local. Um, Because obviously, if you're having to take vacation, book flights, that sort of thing. Um, And two, like people need time to get excited about something, right? And that's a lot of the fun of travel is that lead up and getting excited and learning more about it. And then when you get home, all the memories and kind of reliving everything. And so there's some value to that lead up time too, just even for the consumer. Yeah, absolutely. But I think you're completely right that COVID has changed the the landscape when it comes to to planning travel. There's just so much uncertainty that people are less likely to book something six months in advance than they were before. Um, I know personally speaking, I'm more apt to book things a few weeks, maybe a month in advance, just because it's changing all the time, which must be really difficult when you're, you know, planning and running retreats, because if you're having to wait to the last minute, you don't know if you're going to get all those numbers until the very end. Yeah, it's been, um, it's definitely been a mind game of having good support systems and reminding yourself that this part of the travel kind of cycle right now with COVID is hopefully temporary. I mean, I'm under no false pretenses. I think COVID will be a factor in travel for at least two more years, maybe more. You know, it's not going to go away by next spring, next fall, next anything. I think it will get better a lot of places, but it's very personal to the place you're going. And so, you know, you look at some places in Southeast Asia and versus a place in Africa versus a place in Europe and situations totally different. And so it's been an exercise in patience. I had 2020 was the first year I was going to be doing this full time. And so I had, I've lost track now, but four or five retreats that were pretty much fully booked up and um, sold out and we were ready to go. And then things obviously went sideways. And so all of those retreats, I pushed an entire calendar year out from when they were supposed to be. And that turned out to not even be enough time in some cases. So a lot of the retreats I'm running this fall, fingers crossed, hopefully, (laughs) um, are retreats that should have happened last fall. And, you know, even now I'm monitoring caseloads and and that sort of thing, just to make sure it's still safe to go and um, all of the regulations. So, you know, it's, um, it's kind of a patience game at this point. And it's, it's a numbers game. Like, can you give people places interesting enough that they want to go, but also have a couple of things that feel more comfortable to, especially for me, most of my travelers are US based. So, you know, can I have a couple destinations that feel a little bit more safe? And I use that in quotes, because that's all very relative, right? Um, just because the country is closer to where you live, doesn't necessarily mean it's it's safer or not. Um, and, and, you know, and, and travel, that's always been a relative term. And I think maybe people didn't stop to think about that before, right? I mean, anytime you're leaving your house, right, there's some level of you're not as safe as you were in your house. But if you, if you let safety, there's a fine line between 
I don't want to ever do anything that puts myself, you know, people say, I don't want to go anywhere besides Europe. Europe feels safe. Well, it's like you could get pickpocketed in Paris, right? So COVID has just added a new layer to what we feel comfortable with and everyone has a different threshold. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Are there any additional logistics that you've had to take into consideration or any other um, operational changes that you've had to make since COVID? Yeah, I mean, my policies are pretty different. Um, the I actually did run a retreat in February of 2020 to Cambodia. And at that point, um, COVID was only really present in China and a few other places. And so that was, I remember infamously saying to my partner in Cambodia, or, or thinking to myself, at least, like, if I can just get through this one, because at that point, we thought it was going to stay in Asia, right? Which, short-sighted. I remember thinking, if we can just get through this one, the rest of my year will be a cakewalk, which is laughable now. Um, but we did go and I gave people a chance, you know, I explained the situation in China. A lot of people at that point were supposed to fly through China to get to Cambodia. But at the time we were going, there was not a single case in Cambodia. So Cambodia itself was very safe. Obviously, we didn't know much about the virus. It wasn't in America at that point. It wasn't even in Europe. And so I gave people an out. I said, this is a situation. We're going to take all the precautions that we can. Our partner feels comfortable with us coming. I feel comfortable going. However, if you do not feel comfortable for any reason, you know, here's an out kind of. And one person out of 15 took it and the rest of us went and had a great time. But I didn't know things could have changed on a dime. And so I went to Home Depot, which is like our home improvement store here, and bought all these N95 masks because at the time, right, it was February. Nobody in America was trying to buy an N95 mask or any kind of mask. And, um, you know, you use them for like painting your house. And so I bought huge stacks of them and took them with us. Of course, we didn't need them as it turned out. But yeah, so that retreat ran totally fine. And then after that point, everything else had to be canceled. We got back and I was actually for a different reason in Europe in early March. And that trip for me got cut off because of COVID. So yeah, I had some interesting experiences early on traveling in COVID. Like I wore a mask on the plane all the way to Asia in February before anyone else in the US did anything just out of an abundance of caution. And if you've ever been to Asia, a lot of people wear masks pre-COVID, right? They wear it when they have a cold, they wear it to protect other people. And so in Asia, it wasn't really a thing to be up in arms over. But now I require everybody to be vaccinated, which I'm so glad I made that decision several months ago. I mean, even now with everyone being vaccinated, there is there's so many protocols to get into places. And a lot of places, if you aren't vaccinated, you would also need to produce a negative test and quarantine. And of course, nobody has time to quarantine and then go on a trip if they're just going on a little vacation. So everyone has to be vaccinated. In a lot of cases, they also need to show a negative test if that's what the country we're going to requires. Or in the case of Morocco, like if right now, if you fly through a country on a different list, they require you show a vac- you show a um, test with, with your vaccine. So like if you fly through Portugal, you have to have a test to get into Portugal and a test to get from Portugal to Morocco. And so, you know, I'm helping people keep up to date on all of that stuff. And then um, we're wearing masks and transportation at all times, regardless of um, anything else. One, to protect the person driving us anywhere. And two, that's just close, confined quarters. And then, yeah, obviously we have sanitizer and that kind of thing, but it's more trying to make sure that the group that's going to be close together in yoga and in the house has as many layers of protection as possible. And, and right now for me, the vaccination is the best option on that. But that was its own battle with people that were signed up who didn't want to get vaccinated and finding a, a way that they didn't walk away unhappy, but also that I 
kept the boundaries that I felt like were important for my business and more importantly to protect people in other countries and, you know, tourism is hurting everywhere. And so I know they want us back, but they don't want us to come back and bring COVID with us. And so, you know, I just have a level of ethics that I'm not willing to cross, even if it means I lose money over it. Yeah, I think anyone working in travel or anyone that's traveling personally has a huge responsibility to be mindful of what they could bring into the places that they visit. And also, if you're running a retreat, I mean, if one person gets sick in that small bubble of the retreat, um, that could be catastrophic for the the entire experience. So I think it's I completely understand why you would have to to be pretty strict about you know what you allow and and you know the kind of regulations that you set. Yeah. And I have one of those little um, temperature guns. <laughs> and then we also, to get back in the U.S. from anywhere international, you have to take a, a test. So like when we went to Mexico, I had a testing service come to the villa. So like while we were eating breakfast, I was just pulling one person at a time to go sit in this nice comfy chair and get a quick nose no swab and then go back to their coffee and, you know, breakfast tacos. And so it was pretty simple. And then, you know, in Morocco, we'll have to go into town to do that. But that's the other helpful thing of going with a group or having someone book it who is in the industry is they can figure out all that stuff for you because I've had people reach out to me who traveled on their own that said, I can't find a testing center and how do you find one? What do you do? And my first thought is like, well, you really shouldn't have waited till the day before you are leaving the country to (laughs) figure that out. But it's a learning process for everybody. So I think, yeah, just having all of these layers of protection and and two, I re- I'm now requiring people or highly, highly encouraging them to have um, really good travel insurance and travel health insurance that covers COVID and that kind of thing. So, yeah, that's a really good idea as well. You mentioned briefly on just the ethics of your company, and I want to go a bit more into that because that's, like I said at the, the start, that was one of the things that really attracted me to your business is you, you seem to uphold these really strong ethics that I completely align with, like your sustainability and community mindedness. Um, could you speak a little bit about that and why you felt it was important to feature that uh, in your in your business? Yeah, I come, um, I come from a family that happens to just have always had a strong focus on trying to help others. My dad started a charity the year I was born that's still operational um, in the state where I grew up. And so it just was a little bit ingrained in me. It's not I can't take much credit for it. <laughs> I just think that, you know, I was always told we're blessed and we should never take that for granted and realize that you got very lucky with your lot in life. And and I think too, it's hard to walk into a place like Cambodia and not feel a shift in your entire worldview, no matter how much you think you understand the world, if you go to a place like that. And Cambodia especially has gone through a, a very chaotic last several decades. Um which I won't get into, but <clears throat> there's there's definitely like a level of how could you go to a place like this and in some ways profit off of taking people to a place like this and not feel like you have some responsibility to to do well by the people that are there. And so my partner in Cambodia, the, um, she is Australian, but the entire business is run. She has about 20 uh, local people who work for her at the front desk in the um, restaurant. They have a little spa on site. And so, you know, those people might be the breadwinner for their whole family and she pays well beyond living wages, um, well beyond what other people are paying in the country. And she's actually managed to keep them all employed during COVID. And so I've tried to prepay some of the, I don't know at this point, the next time we're going to go, I keep having to push it, but um, I've tried to prepay in the form of vouchers so that that she can help people, you know, keep their jobs. I mean, hundreds of other people have helped too. It's not like I'm 
it's not like I'm keeping it running. But so even when we went the first time to Cambodia, I had met um, a tour guide and he's now my friend and my tour guide there. But his family had started a school for children in Cambodia, a village school that kind of helps supplement the government school. And so they teach them English and Chinese because that really helps them get jobs in the future. Um, And then some other basic things, because a lot of the work in Cambodia right now is either farming or tourism, and there isn't a ton in between. And so um, we got to visit the school and a donation was made on behalf of every guest. And when you can see how far, you know, a couple hundred or a thousand dollars go in a place like Cambodia, um, you'd almost, I can't, you know, it's hard to believe that anyone would go and not try to help. But yeah, it depends on the place that we're going. So in, in Mexico, we were going to Puerto Vallarta, which is very much a tourist town. And so they're also a little bit in the same boat of all these people that had jobs previously don't anymore. And then the economic impact of COVID has been catastrophic for place, you know, a tourist town in Mexico. And so I tracked down through some kind of trusted partners that I have in Mexico. There's a group that had started a food bank during COVID. And so I, I don't even think that one's on my website, but I had donated, um, I donated on behalf of every guest as part of like a gift to them for the food bank. And, and again, like, you know, a little bit of money goes a long way in those situations. So I think it's easy to do like a, to fall into a trap of, you know, volunteerism and like you're making it look good from the outside. Right. And so I try to stick really far away from that, but it's a hard balance of knowing like, are you really helping? Um, Are you doing it? So, you know, it looks like something else. And so I've tried to partner or give money to groups where I personally know a connection or I, a trusted partner there has recommended them. And so that I think is helps make sure that the money is going to the right place. But um, of course you don't never ever really know for sure, I guess. Yeah. And that was going to be my next question actually is how do you find these partners? Cause obviously, I mean, you could do a Google search, but to really ensure that they you know, align with your ethics, that they're, that it's not just a volunteerism opportunity, but that they are are doing some good. I know that you you visit the places and do site checks before you lead the retreats, but in those early days when you're just considering a new destination, what are the first sort of steps you take to to find a new partner? Yeah, um, a partner to donate to or a partner to work with? Both, actually. Um, it depends. So, like for Mexico, for instance, I was going to Mexico anyway for something else <clears throat> for this Port of Ayer to Mexico one, and then. When I went, I this is a random one, but I went into a restaurant that was recommended by the place I was staying and loved it. And I ended up going back again this like six days later. And then I signed up for their email list and they were running like a charity dinner night for the Vallarta Food Bank. And I started looking into it and I thought, oh, this would actually be a great place to give money. And it's not a like photo op thing. We didn't go, right? Um, <clears throat> I did reach out to the food bank because all of my guests were vaccinated to see if they needed help and we couldn't really get it coordinated, but I may take guests back next time. But, and I never, I mean, in that one, actually, I've never talked about it on social media or I think even really on my website, but um, that was just something where I, I made a donation. I talked to the people that ran the thing and said, is it okay if I make a donation and give it as like a gift to these people on my trip? And they said, sure, that's great. Right. (laughs) Who doesn't want money for their food bank? And so I just printed it out and put it in their, in their little envelope as a gift. But Finding the partners themselves, if I'm going to run a retreat, it's very dependent. Sometimes it's something that falls a little bit in my lap and I've gotten really good now at going online. And if I'm looking for a certain kind of place, knowing exactly what I'm looking for. And for me, that's a certain number of rooms with a certain bed configuration, 
you know, do they provide at least some of the meals on site for logistics purposes? I read reviews like it's my job. I'm a big fan of that. But then I'm always going anyway to see it. And so the place I stayed for a few nights in Puerto Vallarta was a small little boutique villa hotel. And I got there and I was like, yep, this will work. You know, like you can just kind of tell and, it, and you meet. I always meet with the people who run the place. And in that case, it was the manager. And I emailed and said, I'm just coming as a guest for a few nights before another trip I'm taking. But this is what I do for a living. I would love to sit down with you and talk about full villa rentals, how that works, et cetera. And in that case, they had a huge, they had it all set out. They did a lot of full villa rentals already. Um, and so you're not trying to kind of like reinvent the wheel. And I sat with him and he was super helpful. And I, you know, having good partners is insanely crucial. You really can't go and wing it, or at least I wouldn't. And so your partner, the manager of the property, whatever, is your only lifeline between when, for me, when I'm scouting and then when I go back with the group to get questions answered, to make sure things are going to be how they are when you want, when you show up. And I do now go in a day or two early always. Um, I couldn't do that when I had a corporate job and was limited on vacation time, but you just get a feeling like, right. When I walk into places, I either think like, "Mm, this looks good on paper, but no. So like I took a 10 day trip to Morocco, December of 2019. And I toured, I want to say like 10 or 12 places. It was nuts. A good friend of mine came with me and we looked at places in a couple different cities. And even while I was, I had like prearranged some of these, but even while I was there, I found new places that maybe looked better. And reached out to them and just said, this is what I do. Right. And I'm interested in bringing a group. And I think now they can go on my website and say like, okay, this person's legit. This is a real business. And so, yeah, I toured all these different places and some, I could totally see they would be a good fit for another type of tour operator, but not necessarily for me. And there were other ones where I walked in and thought, whoa, okay, this is it. And it's just like a feeling and a vibe and a a sense of like the business knows what they're, the, my partner business knows what they're doing. They've done it before, usually, um, not always as far as a retreat, but it's pretty easy to take a like private home villa rental that operates for groups and turn it into a yoga retreat place because it's like, do they have enough open space to do yoga and are they willing to help me source mats and props, et cetera. And so, yeah, you got to piecemeal it together a little bit, unless you only want to go to pure yoga retreat centers, which those are great too, right? It's a little bit more cut and paste in that instance. And are those, when you're finding those places, is that a Google search? Are you looking on Airbnb? Um, what kind of platforms are you doing those? Or are you reading those initial reviews? What kind of platforms am I not using? That'd probably be a better question. Um, <laughs> sometimes I see something on Instagram. Like in fact, now I actually have like a really cool looking um, private home villa type thing in um, Colombia reached out to me. So like now I sometimes have places reach out to me and say, can we interest you in doing a retreat here? So that feels a little bit like you've made it, right? Um, <laughs> and I mean, I always look on TripAdvisor, whether I'm going on a trip by myself or a retreat or anything. TripAdvisor is my go-to for reviews. And people just put so much good information in TripAdvisor reviews, I think. And I always am a good traveler. I write my own TripAdvisor reviews when I get home. TripAdvisor is a big one for me. And then too, like I'm always looking to find different photos than the six photos of place recycles. And so I would never book on a booking.com or an Expedia or anything like that for a lot of reasons, even just for my own personal trips, but they often have different photos or different descriptions, different reviews. So you really just have to, it's like a treasure hunt. You have to go digging. And I, I mean, I'm not really finding places by just being like, 
yoga retreat center Morocco. Um, but there is some of that, right? And um, once you get there and you can kind of ask around too, like I did a little bit of that Morocco of, I ended up staying in a different place than I thought I was going to one night. And I realized there was some place near, like right across the street that might work. And once you get there and talk to people too, they can say, oh, actually, I know a woman who runs this hotel and this might be a good fit. And that's what happened in Cambodia. I had looked at the place we now use, but for some reason online, I wasn't sure. And then I stayed somewhere else, got there and was like, nope, this is definitely not it. And my tour guide said, oh, I know the people that run XYZ Hotel let's, you should go over there. So I emailed them and ended up going over the same day and taking a little tour. So a lot of it is like good luck and being willing to like really put yourself out there and ask for help when you get somewhere. Yeah. I, I know a lot of people just book online and they've never seen it themselves. And I get that it takes a certain level of money and time to be able to go. But now I feel like it would be very hard to take people a place that I didn't already go myself. And Photos can be very deceiving, right? So <laughs> you take that wide angle lens photo of a hotel room and then you walk in and you're like, wait, that's not what this looks like. Yeah. And I mean, that's the value that you bring, isn't it? Is your willingness to dive deep into research um, and visit places and get personal recommendations that people otherwise wouldn't be able to find and, and book themselves. So yeah, sounds like a, a great service that you're offering. I also love researching for trips. I can spend hours and hours reading reviews. It's one of my favorite hobbies. And there's so many people who can't stand to do that, right? I mean, you and I can't imagine that, but there are people that would rather do anything else. And so I do get a lot of people actually who come on retreats and they don't even do the yoga or they do a very small amount of it. They come because they don't want to research. They don't want to travel by themselves. They want it just done for them. And so all they do is book their flight and then everything else is given to them. And, you know, I send them an itinerary and a packing list and I put them in a Facebook group and I do all these other things to make it super, super easy and they get picked up at the airport. And so it's a very, very easy process for people when they book and it takes all of the guesswork, research, et cetera. And so I have people say, well, oh, I'd love to do this, but I don't really do yoga. And I always laugh and say, yeah, and neither do like a third of the other people that come on these trips. You know, people might come to an evening slow flow class and skip all the morning classes, right? Or come with a, a partner who likes yoga and they don't. And so they, you know, so you get people that take one class out of 12 offered in a week. You get people that take, very rarely do people take every single class. At some point they're like, you know, I'd rather go have a margarita this afternoon. And that's totally cool. And that's the idea behind the above yoga retreats is it's your retreat, right? If you want to do yoga, great. If you want to come to yoga for the first 20 minutes with your coffee, and sit in silence and not do the poses, cool. If you don't want to come at all, you want to skip a hike, you want to do your own thing, because there's so much of our life we're told what we're supposed to do and where we're supposed to be when. And a vacation, hopefully, is you get to make your own decisions. And I think the best part is when the decisions are easy and you have all these options and you're not having to do the research. So it kind of brings the whole idea of retreat and relaxation and not working too hard um, full circle. Sounds sounds great. <laughs> I love the sound of that. So I, I was looking on your website. I know you have quite a few inclusions um, for your retreats, but do you offer any add-ons like, oh, if you would want to do this extra activity, you can pay X amount, or do you just maybe suggest things and people can book it themselves? Or how, how does that work? It depends. Like a good example is Ireland. There's several things that we 
I say, I say we, it's really just me <laughs> that, um, that we're going to do anyway. So we do a, a guided hike. We go, um, take a tour up through the burn region and up to Galway and, and then take a boat ride over to the Aran Islands. And so there's all these things that are kind of pre-booked and some people come on all of those, some people don't. And so usually on all retreats, there's definitely pockets of free time, a lot of days, but there's usually always a full day that's free. And so Ireland's a good example where I told people up front, like, there's all these great things that you can do and I will help you book them either before or when we get there. And so the free day in Ireland a few years ago had a lot of people go play golf. Like, you know, and they kind of, it was like, it became a foursome of people that didn't know each other before, but all came on the trip and wanted to play. And so I helped them book the golf. Another group of like five or so went horseback riding. Uh, Another group of five or six of us went surfing, which who knew you could do that in Ireland. And so in a lot of cases, I'm either like helping coordinate the booking, booking it for them and they're paying me back or just giving them resources of here's a good place to book. Um, Here's a well-reviewed service for this. And so, and a lot of times my partners will help us if I say, Hey, I have a group of people that want to go do this. And, you know, certain times I've already done whatever the extra thing is they want to do when I went the first time. And so it's pretty easy to say, if you want to go surfing, use this surf school, it's going to be this much amount of money. And so often, you know, sometimes people want to go and do some totally other different thing they found on their own. And I just say, sure, awesome, go have fun. But I try to help broker that when possible and just as an extra service. Yeah. And I think that's when you're having visited that place before that experience really comes into play where you can advise on things outside of the the retreat itself. Um, before we go, I just want to ask for anyone else that's interested in, you know, maybe starting their own retreat business or, you know, leading tours abroad, what what's the biggest piece of advice that you would give to them? Any any words of wisdom you'd like to leave us with? I would say always assume things are going to cost more than you think. I buffer all my budgets with at least a 10% buffer. And that's something I did in my corporate job. I was always budgeting for huge events and trips. Um, and like, I know that things are going to go wrong, right? So, and the things that are going to go wrong are never the things that you're going to dream up that are going to go wrong. And that's just events, right? So if you've never worked in events or you've never tried to run group travel, or you've never been in charge of hospitality for something, I would say, get some experience doing that first, because otherwise the combination of all of those and everyone's eyes on you to fix something is going to be overwhelming or get a partner, right. Who is good at that stuff because that's a lot of it, right. The the yoga teaching portion is such a tiny portion of what I do now for the retreat business. And there's lots of places too, that you could go and it would be done for you, right. You can find a yoga retreat center in Costa Rica where you just teach the classes and the staff on site does everything else. And that may be an awesome place to start and not feel like you're having to put tours, activities, tour buses, travel, you know, all of that stuff layered on, um, is start somewhere that you feel comfortable, that you've been, that you feel like, you know, well, that you feel comfortable with wherever you're having people, um, come to stay and, you know, then branch out to something that seems more exotic and crazy and far away because it's travel, right? Even if you're traveling by yourself, little things are going to go wrong. And if you're traveling with 16 people, I guarantee you some things are going to go wrong. And so um, luckily I learned in my previous roles that if you, somebody's got to be the person that stays calm. And even if they're working really hard behind the scenes, people say, or kind of laugh sometimes they never see me sweat. And I think that's something that's a skill you have to build up and it will all work out. Just make sure you have everything kind of 
improper place. And that too, that you give yourself some downtime because people think, oh, I just travel and sit around on a beach all day. And uh, my mom came on a trip just a few months ago when we went to Mexico with that small group. And she was like, I didn't realize how much you're going to actually be working. And it was kind of this like weird backhanded compliment. And, um, and I say that to people who, if, if once my partner has traveled with me and, and I said like, this is my job, I will be on and kind of on call a lot. And, um, that's an expectation that my guests have of me because that's kind of what I've set, but just make sure people know, are you available for questions at all times? Are you not? Can they come to your room and knock on your door if they need something or should they text you? So like just setting up boundaries so that you don't get there and you're not completely overwhelmed. Um, and for me, that looks like going in a day or two early and staying a day or two late so I can have some just downtime and get like in the right mindset. Yeah, I think that's excellent advice because if you look stressed, if you look frantic, you know, the, the guests will will feel that and that will change their experience as well. So it's, it's really important to keep a cool head and, and to not sweat, like you said. Yeah, it takes practice, but um, it's definitely possible. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Anna. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, Before we go, if people are interested in joining one of your retreats or want to just learn more about you, where can they find you? Yeah. um, The website is just uh, aboveyoga.com. And then on Instagram, we're at above underscore yoga. I'm toying with the idea of changing the Instagram to above underscore yoga underscore retreats, just to be more clear on what our main business is. Um, So TBD when that change is going to happen, but we post all of the stuff pretty much first on Instagram and then all sorts of testimonials and the booking and inclusions are all on the website. And then also um, during the pandemic, I was just needing to do productive things with my time. So I have tons of free yoga classes on facebook.com slash above yoga slash videos. And then um, which are good for beginners or any level of yoga practitioner. And then a lot of those are also on the above yoga YouTube channel. So if you just want to do yoga and sometimes I post videos of, um, yoga classes that I teach virtually on a retreat before the guests get there. So you can pretend to be doing yoga and somewhere fun. Perfect. I, I love the yoga. So I'm definitely going to be checking out those videos. Thanks for sharing. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. Uh, and yeah, best of luck with the future retreats. Thank you. And hopefully you'll come join me on one soon. I hope so too. <laughs>